Okay, now we're going to talk about fluoride, and this is actually from the course that Miss Rudy taught our class. So, caries prevention, health promotion activities, fluoride and sealant programs. Caries prevention, mechanisms of action for fluoride. So, this is going to be literally from Miss Rudy's class, Dr. Singleton's class, and Dr. Murky's lecture, and possibly from the Chicago book. So I'll try to make it as quick as I can, but it's going to be repetitive and it's going to be important. So caries prevention, mechanisms of action for fluoride, remineralization. This is the most significant mechanism of action for fluoride because it reverses the caries process. Remineralized enamel is more resistant to decay due to larger crystals. Frequent Applications of low concentration fluoride is key to remineralization. It seals the dentinal tubules to alleviate pain from dental hypersensitivity. It interferes with microorganisms, which reduces the ability of plaque organisms to form acid. Reduced solubility of enamel, once thought to be most significant mechanism of action, Pre-eruptive, but conversion of hydroxyapatite to fluorapatite, and fluorapatite is more resistant to caries. So now remineralization is the most significant since it re actually reverses the caries process. How do we acquire fluoride? We acquire fluoride systemically or topically. Systemically, during mineralization which is circulation to developing enamel. Excessive intake results in fluorosis. So we uptake it during mineralization. That means that it's circulated into the enamel that is developing inside of your little body. after mineralization but before eruption it's deposited in surface enamel uptake depends on the amount of fluoride ingested and the length of time of exposure fluoride is in water or prescribed dietary supplements so that's how we get it systemically this is a little broken up so i'm trying to make it sound as good as i can topical Topically, we bathe the tooth surface in fluoride. It's in the water. We put gels, toothpaste, mouth, rinse, mouth rinses, and tablets. It contributes to remineralization. Excessive intake this way does not result in fluorosis. That's only when it's taken systemically during development. Community water fluoridation is an ideal public health method because it's effective, safe, and inexpensive. It requires no cooperative effort or direct action. It does not depend on access of availability or professional services. It is equitable because the entire population benefits regardless of financial resources. Ongoing studies have shown that no difference in effectiveness of naturally fluoridated versus adjusted fluoridation Former recommendation was one ppm, one part per million, one milligram of fluoride per one liter of water with a range from 0.7 ppm in warmer clients to 1.2 ppm in cooler clients, climates. Current recommendation as of January 2011 is 0.7 ppm with no range. So it's the same in warm and cold areas. EPA considers 4 ppm to be the maximum contaminant level where people have noticeable fluorosis. The main benefit of fluoride is caries reduction. Early studies showed 60% decrease in permanent teeth of children. Now about 20 to 40 due to widespread use of fluorides. For adults, decrease of 35 to 50% in coronal and root decay. Prevention of infection, pain, suffering, and increase in quality of life. And 
the savings on restorative care. Um, Carries reduction benefit terms. You have the dilution effect and the diffusion effect, which is also known as the halo effect. The dilution effect decrease in benefits of water fluoridation due to use of other fluoride products. The diffusion effect or halo effect is um, EXT of benefits of water fluoridation due to residents of non-fluoridated community. Extension. Extension of benefits of water fluoridation as a result of non-fluoridated communities. Other benefits of fluoride. Appearance at one parts per minute per million. Teeth are clean, white, opaque, shining. Above two to four parts per million during the time of enamel formation from birth to age eight, they'll have noticeable fluorosis. Tooth surfaces, greater benefit on smooth surfaces than on pit and fissure surfaces. Partial exposure. Benefit depends on how much fluoride and length of exposure. Dental decay increases if fluoridation is discontinued for one or more year. Prenatal. Fluoride does not cross the placenta and enter the fetal circulation. Research is inconclusive about benefits to calcification of primary teeth, but do know that fluoride does not harm the fetus. No special precaution is needed. Fluorosis. Fluorosis is a cosmetic problem, not a functional problem in the U.S. Very mild fluorosis is found in 22% of the population. Moderate to severe fluorosis in 1.3% of the population in the United States. Recent increase in U.S. Recent increase in U.S. to appropriate use of supplements and ingestion of fluoride toothpaste. Only about 10 to 15 percent of fluorosis cases are due to the water fluoridation. Economics. An average of about a dollar per person per year Total over lifetime equals approximate cost of one filling. Cost varies within a range based on size of city, labor costs, amount and type of equipment, amount and type of fluoride, the types of fluoride compounds. You have fluorosilicic acid. This is a liquid. You have sodium fluorosilicate which is a solid, and sodium fluoride, which is also a solid. So those are your three types of fluoride compounds. Fluorosilicic acid, which is a liquid, sodium fluorosilicate, which is a solid, and sodium fluoride, which is a solid. The type used depends on the size of the water facility, the type of the water facility, and the preference of the water supply engineer. types of systems. You have fluoridation systems and defluoridating systems. And that's in case the water has too much fluoride in it so that it can be taken out. But the fluoridation systems, you have saturators, dry feeders, and a solution slash liquid feeder, which is like a metered pump. Um, introducing fluoride to a community Decision of fluoridate is usually political, not professional, and there's three ways to approve fluoridation for water. Administrative decision, referendum, and state legislative action. Administrative decision, approved by local governing bodies, usually city council or commission. Referendum is approved by the vote of the people, and a state legislative action is a mandate passed by state legislators requiring that public water supplies be fluoridated. Um, Don't approach or speak to anti-fluoridationists. They tend to be older, childless people with a below-average education and income. Their rationales for not fluoridating is that it violates their individual rights. And that's the most common reason. But the Supreme Court argues that fluoride is a nutrient, not a medication, and it's present in the environment. 
and that nobody is forced to drink the fluoridated water. But they say they've got health concerns, um, environmental sensitivity from it, which makes no sense because it's natural. They say it violates religious beliefs. And the current issues is that home water treatment systems can decrease fluoride content. So if you use like a a treatment system specifically at your house, you should get your water tested. And some bottled water does not contain optimal levels of fluoride. Okay, school water fluoridation. Developed and tested in the 1960s for the use in rural schools with independent water supply. More effective on late erupting teeth due to both systemic and topical effects. The optimal concentration is 4.5 ppm. Benefits do not begin until the child starts school. Um, Get benefits only during school hours when school is in session. So that's why it's so high because they're not getting all that fluoride when they go home. Because they're not there all day every day. Equipment is used publicly funded and maintained by school personnel. So this is a concern that it has to be monitored daily. Um, But the advantage is that no individual effort is needed to get the benefits. And it benefits school children and adults in the building regardless of their income or age. Um, uh, The CDC no longer promotes this, though, due to some spills and safety problems. There are other ways to get fluoride. You can get fluoridated salt and fluoridated milk, which both is really not very common um but there's dietary supplements mouthwash varnish toothpaste uh, there's all kinds of ways to get it and then talking about sealants sealants should be used in conjunction with fluorides done to prevent caries in pits and fissures and is targeted toward underserved populations uh due to cost it's very cheap um can be put on using a mobile or portable equipment. Very effective. Let's see. And we can talk about what's on this first page. The online questions. This mechanism reduces the ability of plaque organisms to form acid. And the answer is interference with microorganisms. So that's one of the mechanisms of action of fluoride. Is that it? The mechanisms of action for fluoride is remineralization, which is the most significant. It seals dentinal tubules to eliminate pain from dental hypersensitivity. It interferes with microorganisms to reduce the ability of plaque organisms to form acid. And the reduced solubility of enamel. So, this mechanism reduces the ability of plaque organisms to form acid. Interference with microorganisms. This mechanism of action helps with hypersensitivity. Sealing of the dentinal tubules is the answer. This mechanism of action is the most significant. Remineralization. This mechanism of action is associated with converting hydroxyapatite to fluorapatite. And that is reduced solubility of enamel. The key to remineralization mechanism of action is what? Frequent applications of low concentration of fluoride. What are the two ways that you can acquire fluoride? Systemically and topically. Mm-hmm. The systemic way to acquire fluoride is further divided into two ways. What are those two ways? The answer is during mineralization, before eruption, and after mineralization before eruption. Which way contributes to 
remineralization? The answer is topical. Which way of acquiring fluoride results in fluorosis? During mineralization systemically. So we'll say that again. Which way of acquiring fluoride results in fluorosis? During mineralization systemically. Systemic uptake of fluoride depends on what? The amount of fluoride ingested and the length of time of exposure. True or false? There is a difference in effectiveness of naturally fluoridated water compared to adjusted fluoridation. The answer is false. It's exactly the same. What is the current recommendation of water fluoridation? The answer is 0.7 ppm. What was the former recommendation of water fluoridation? 0.7 to 1.2 ppm. What is the maximum containment, contaminant level of fluoridation as determined by the EPA? It's four parts per million. What are the benefits of community water fluoridation? Carries reduction. This is the most thing. The, mo the biggest thing. Carries reduction. Especially in smooth surface decay. And you get a nice appearance of your teeth. Okay, so this next part is a little longer, and it's repetitive, but like I said, the more that you hear something, the, the more likely you are to remember it. So, fluoride. Community water fluoridation. It's very inexpensive, about a dollar per person per year. It saves money over time. The recommended level is 0 0.7 parts per million. It used to be 0.7 to 1.2 parts per million over 2.0 ppm, the water is sent to be defluoridated. Bottled water has 0.3 ppm or less fluoride. School water fluoridation. Parental consent is required. Levels are four to five times higher than in community water fluoride levels because the kids are not there 24-7. The school fluoride rinse program is not widely used or cost-effective, and it requires consent. Concentration is 0.2% rinse, 60 seconds, once a week. Not for children under five. Fluoride toothpaste is not recommended for kids under 2. Ages 3 and under just use a very small, smear-sized amount. Between the ages of 3 and 6, use a pea-sized amount. Varnishes are the most effective method. Every 3 months... Hold on. Every six months or every three months for a higher caries risk, the fluoride varnishes are put on. Just at your regular dental appointment. Supplementation for children six months to 16 years old. And this depends on the age of the child and the levels of fluoride existing in the drinking water at home. Um, tablets or lozenges should be chewed Slash sucked for one to two minutes before swallowing. A risk of fluorosis if taken in excess. No proven benefit for fetus if taken while pregnant. So here's this chart that we have to have memorized. So whenever you go in, I was told, write this chart out as soon as you get there so you don't have to worry about it. Fluoride, uh... So this is how much you get give your child per age, depending on how much fluoride they're already getting at home. So the ages are zero to six months, and that's all none, all the way across, because they don't need it during that time. Six months to three years, and then... 
what's already in their home drinking water is the top of the chart. And that's less than 0 0.3, 0 0.3 to 0 0.6, and then more than 0 0.6. More than 0 0.6, then the answer is none all the way down because they don't need that. So if you really just think about it, they're only supposed to have 0 0.7 parts per million anyways. So if it depends on how much they're already getting, then you just kind of do the math. So zero to six months, they get none. They don't need any supplement. Um, none of the children need more than 0 0.6 parts per million. If they're getting that much, they don't need a supplement either. So six months to three years old. If the child is receiving 0 0.3, three parts per million or less, then they should receive a supplementation of 0 0.25 milligrams per day. Again, if the child is six months to three years old and the fluoride they're receiving at home is less, is 0 0.3 parts per million or less, they should receive a supplementation of 0 0.25 milligrams per day. This is the only case, the only situation for where a six month old to three year old should receive supplementation is if the fluoride is 0 0.3 or less. Then they will receive 0 0.25 milligrams per day. The next one is three to six years old. If their fluoride at home is 0 0.3 or less, they will receive 0 0.5 milligrams per day. If the three to six year old is getting at home 0 0.3 parts per million to 0 0.6 parts per million, then that child will receive 0 0.25 milligrams per day. Next is a six-year-old to a 16-year-old. If the fluoride at their house is less than 0 0.3 parts per million, then that child should receive see, one milligram of fluoride every day. If the child is six to 16 years old, and they get 0 0.3 parts per million to 0 0.6 parts per million at home, they should receive 0 0.5 milligrams per day in a supplement. And that's that chart, and that chart needs to be uh, remembered, memorized for boards. All right. Um, acquiring fluoride, systemic and topical. Systemic, you swallow the water prescribed dietary supplement and you, uh, it goes into the tooth development before eruption and uptake depends on the amount, length of exposure, benefit ends after teeth have erupted. Then you can only get it topically. So topically, the tooth is bathed in the surface after eruption. So to get the fluoride, you have to go to the office and get the fluoride varnishes, or you can get over-the-counter rinses and gels. And fluoridated water, fluoride toothpaste. So, systemic acquisition. During mineralization, the stage of tooth development, fluoride is deposited during the formation of enamel after enamel matrix has been laid down by amelioblasts incorporated as flora appetite during mineralization. It is circulated to the developing tooth via blood plasma. This is the only time that fluorosis can occur systemically during mineralization. Fluorosis is a form of enamel hypomineralization due to excessive ingestion of fluoride during mineralization. Never 
during topical or through water and cannot occur after remineralization either. Hypo because it lays down less enamel because the enamel is defective. The excess fluoride inhibits normal activity of ameloblast, therefore defective enamel matrix is formed. Systemic acquisition after mineralization, but still before eruption. So mineralization has already occurred. Um, fluoride is deposited in surface of enamel. More fluoride is on the outer surface than inside. The benefits is that it's exposed to fluoride within two years of eruption. Topical fluoride uh, is put on post-eruptive, bathes the erupted tooth. The good thing, hmm, Very, okay, topical. Very rapid uptake by the tooth immediately after eruption, uh, the demineralized areas. Cycle of demineralization and remineralization. Excessive intake does not result in fluorosis. So ex excessive intake, it's just going to make your teeth stronger. Remineralization is the most significant mechanism of action. Mm-hmm. This is just what we've gone over already. So mineralization of tooth is the, mo is the most important, most significant mechanism of action for fluoride. But it also seals the dentinal tubules to alleviate pain from dental hypersensitivity. And it reduces the solubility of enamel um, through the conversion of hydroxyapatite to fluorapatite. So it's more resistant to caries is what it means. Okay, toxic toxicity, something that was done on the other one. Symptoms occur 30 minutes after ingestion, so it's acute. Cramps, nausea, diarrhea, abdominal pain, increased salivation and thirst, convulsions, paresthesis, cardiovascular and respiratory depression. First aid is to induce vomiting and drink milk. Fluoride binds to milk. So induce vomiting and have the child drink milk. That's um, acute. Chronic, chronic um, toxicity of fluoride. The patient ends up with skeletal fluorosis, which is can be mild to moderate crippling skeletal fluorosis, and dental fluorosis, which is the most common. Um, the, there could be fatal poisoning by fluoride consumption, which is 5 to 10 grams at one time. So the person could maybe pass away from it. Okay. Fluoride is the single most effective means for preventing dental caries. One of our most important public health measures. The very first community to fluoridate water was Grand Rapids, Michigan in 1945. Acceptable range for concentration is 0.7 parts per million. It used to be, and it's not anymore, 0.7 parts per million to 1.2 parts per million in colder climates but now they say it doesn't matter so it's 0 0.7 parts per million everywhere no range so the dietary supplements are for children in non-fluoridated areas six months to 16 years old And the, the fluoride prescription is just based on the age and fluoride concentration in their water. And then that's just the chart that I told you about. Okay, now we'll talk about the fluoride products. Everyday toothpaste that are recommended for all patients to brush daily with reduces decay 
you have sodium fluoride, 0.22%, sodium monofluorophosphate, 0.76%, and stannous fluoride at 0.4%. Just use a small amount, smear for toddlers, pea size for children, half inch for adults. And then the mouthwash, you have neutral sodium fluoride, acidulated phosphate fluoride, and it says don't use before the age of six due to risk of swallowing. Then you have the varnish, which is site-specific or full mouth, sets rapidly in presence of saliva, does not require a full profi because it penetrates the plaque, plaque needs, or the stuff on the teeth, but the plaque needs to be removed, it says. Forms non-water soluble layer of varnish, which provides slow release of fluoride into the tooth. So then you tell your patient, no brushing or flossing for four to six hours, soft food diet for two hours. And that's done twice a year. And then the, here's the topical foam gel. Varnish is like what we use. Topical fluoride foam slash gel. Acidulated phosphate fluoride. Neutral sodium fluoride and stannous fluoride. Those are the topical foams. Acidulated phosphate fluoride is the most common, comes in gel or foam. Um, applied for one to four minutes on semi annual basis. No food, drink, or rinsing for 30 minutes. Good for caries prone patients. Contraindications are that it etches or dulls porcelain and composite restorations and titanium implants. Patients who cannot tolerate an acidic environment, such as bulimics and zero, people that have xerostomia, they shouldn't use that one. Neutral sodium fluoride comes in gel or foam. pH is 7. Recommended regimen was four weekly applications, ages 3, 7, 11, and 13. Uh, recommended time is four minutes due to a higher pH recommended for patients with porcelain ceramic restorations patients who cannot tolerate acidic fluorides such as bulimics and patients with a reduced salivary flow no food drink or rinse for 30 minutes and then stannous fluoride is approved for semi-annual may cause staining grooves and margins in restorations bitter taste gingival irritation and rarely used Used for kids because it actually works. Home fluorides, gels, and pastes. To be used in addition to a regular rinse and paste. Recommended to brush with regular paste and then brush with prescription gel slash paste for one minute. Some products combine these two steps. No rinse or drinking for 30 minutes. Best to use at bedtime. The types you have... 1.1% NAF, 0.4% SNF, and 0.5% APF. And that's stuff that you can use at home. Foams are better with patients with high gag reflex. Foams are easily evacuated via suction than gels are. Foams allow for increased interproximal tooth coverage without overflow into the oral cavity, and foam results in less excess being left in the mouth after treatment. Personally, I think that the varnish is better. Okay, now it's going to start sounding super repetitive, but I'm going to go over some of the stuff that Dr. Murky taught us about fluoride and decay. So there, here's a big section on decay as well. And then we'll go into the Chicago book for their version of fluoride because they've got fluoride and caries review sort of together in that book as well. Okay, let's get started. Um, a caries definition an infectious and transmittable disease caused by bacteria characterized by progressive loss of tooth mineral and bacterial invasion into demineralized tooth. 
the reason that this is so important and it kind of goes with the fluoride is because fluoride can prevent decay. So three primary factors in dental caries, bacteria, tooth surface, and sugar. Bacteria, tooth, and fermentable carbohydrates, especially sugar. Those are the three things that you need to have for tooth decay. Gotta have a tooth surface, you gotta have bacteria on that tooth surface, and you gotta have fermentable carbohydrates or sugar feeding that bacteria. Okay, so Carrie's definition, an infectious and transmissible disease caused by bacteria characterized by progressive loss of tooth mineral and bacterial invasion into demineralized tooth. The three primary factors in dental caries that you must have is a tooth surface, then you must have bacteria, and lastly, a fermentable carbohydrate such as sugar. These three things can end up being a decayed tooth. And now we're going to talk about the four different types of bacteria involved in dental caries. Um, number one, Streptococcus mutans. This is responsible for the initiation of caries. Number two, Streptococcus sobrinus, also responsible for the initiation of caries. Number three, Lactobacillus. It says there's several species, and this is responsible for the progression of caries in dentin. And last is AA actinomyces viscosis, responsible for the progression of caries in dentin as well. She's got a note here that says lactobacillus and actinomyces cannot initiate caries. They only invade after carious lesions are established. So I'm going to go ahead and read over this little list that I have from Dental Hygiene Mastery. Um, there's, it just talks about four different bacteria found in the mouth. It looks like only two of them uh, cause decay. But we'll go ahead and read all four. So like Dr. Murky's list said, we have streptococ streptococcus mutans. And this, she said, is responsible for the initiation of caries. But Dental Hygiene Mastery says it's associated with pit and fissure dental caries. It metabolizes sucrose to lactic acid, which can demineralize the enamel. It is a gram-positive cocci-shaped bacteria. These facultative anaerobes are a major contributor to occlusal tooth decay. So the other one listed on here that Dr. Murky covered is the actinomyces viscous that cannot initiate dental caries, but it leads to the progression of it in dentin. And it states... Actinomyces viscosus is the primary cause of root surface caries. AA is a tissue-invading microorganism which would be present in a periodontal pocket. Okay, now there's two more bacterias on here that don't actually lead to dental decay, but I want to go ahead and cover them. Prevotella, I mean just because it's in the mouth, um, Prevotella intermedia, this is a gram-negative obligate anaerobic bacteria generally found in acute necrotizing gingivitis and pregnancy gingivitis. The other one is Streptococcus salivarius. This is a gram-positive cocci that is associated with the tongue. So if I was going to ask you a question about bacteria that leads to dental decay, here we go. What bacteria is associated with pit and fissure caries? Streptococcus mutans. What bacteria is associated with root surface caries? 
Tino Mycees. I don't really know if that's AA. I just know that it's there because it has the A. Um, what bacteria is associated with acute necrotizing gingivitis and pregnancy gingivitis? Prevotella intermedia. What is a bacteria that's associated with the tongue? Streptococcus salivarius. And Streptococcus mutans and Streptococcus sobrinus are both responsible for what? The answer is the initiation of caries. Um, these two bacteria cannot initiate caries by themselves. They only invade after the carious lesion is established. The answer is lactobacillus and actinomyces viscosus. And both of these um, are responsible for the progression of caries in dentin. But remember, actinomyces is a primary cause of root surface caries. Okay, caries is a bacterial disease. So decay is a bacterial disease. Um, an increased percent of S mutans in plaque equals a higher caries risk. But caries is dependent on a dietary sucrose. So because adding so much sugar to your diet changes the nature of plaque from liquid to gel, and in return, it causes the saliva to be unable to buffer, which causes an increased acidic environment against the tooth surface. Sucrose does not change the amount of plaque formation. It just changes the nature of the plaque itself from a liquid to a gel. And then, like I said, the saliva is unable to buffer it in the new form. And that simply leads to an increased acidic environment. Caries is driven by frequency of eating. An increased frequency equals a decreased salivary buffering. Each time bacteria contacts food or drink with sugars, acid is produced by plaque bacteria as a metabolic byproduct. Acid dissolves surface appetite crystals of tooth. I'll say it again. Acid dissolves surface appetite crystals of tooth. That is demineralization. Saliva acts as a buffering agent, which neutralizes plaque pH. Appetite crystals regrow, and then you have remineralization. Okay, in thick gel plaque, meaning sucrose is in the diet, the pH stays low, acidic, up to two hours. So demineralization can occur for up to two hours. In thin liquid plaque, which means no sucrose in diet, the plaque pH is low, acidic, for 20 to 30 minutes. So it's better to not have sugar than to have sugar in the diet because it can last, your P, the low pH, making an acidic environment, can last up to four times longer than without it. So it's 20, 30 minutes or two hours. So caries is modified by saliva. A high flow rate saliva is an effective buffer against plaque acids. If you have a low salivary flow or you have xerostomia, then you are at a higher risk for getting dental decay. Caries is also modified by fluoride. Systemic fluoride in water is incorporated into developing enamel, making the enamel less soluble to plaque acids. Topical fluoride in toothpaste, mouthwashes, and office application acts to inhibit acid production by plaque bacteria and 10 times faster 
remineralization after the pH is neutralized. There's a note here that says fluoride can be toxic at high levels and causes a modeling of enamel at 3 to 4 ppm. Water fluoridation should be around 1 ppm. But we know from earlier that it's actually 0 0.7 ppm is what it is currently. Um, we have two patterns of carious lesion development. We have smooth surface decay and pit and fissure decay. Smooth surface decay is represented by two triangles and an apex to base connection. Pit and fissure decay is represented with two triangles and a base to base connection. Um, here's some basic info about caries. There's no direct correlation between sugar and increased plaque formation. Sugar changes the thickness of plaque, not the amount that's formed. You have a decreased sugar import in a country that equals a decreased caries rate. So this is retrospective data. It's research that's already been done over time in the past. Caries is transmissible. So it's contagious. You can give caries to someone else by kissing them in the mouth or sharing a toothbrush. Caries is associated with socioeconomic status. So the lower the socioeconomic status, the more people tend to have caries. Antibiotics can be used to control caries, but it's not used because caries is not a life-threatening disease. It would require constant use and would create resistant microbes. So when you actually take antibiotics because you're ill and you need it to save your life, it won't really work because you've taken it all the time for your dental caries. Um, toothbrushing alone does not reduce caries activity very much because patients have pit and fissures that cannot be cleaned with a toothbrush. There are interproximal areas that can't be cleaned with a toothbrush. So just brushing your teeth alone is not good enough to get rid of it. Um, let's see. There may be a vaccine in the future. It's being researched, um, something to target the S-mutans bacteria. All right, the different types of caries. There's four. You have rampant caries, chronic caries, arrested caries, and recurrent caries. Rampant caries rapidly is rapidly progressive decay. Urgent treatment is needed. Multiple large carious lesions, usually associated with decreased saliva flow and baby bottles. Something called ECC or early childhood caries or baby bottle caries or nursing bottle syndrome occurs in children usually three years old and younger. It's associated with sleeping with a bottle or sweetened juices in the bottle or sippy cup. It's just like a bottle. They're introducing it to their mouth each time they take a drink. Uh, this appears rapidly. It tends to affect the maxillary anterior teeth and it is a type of rampant caries. Chronic caries is a slowly progressive decay process. Carious dentin is usually brown or black. Then we have arrested caries. This is remineralized slash recalcified lesions, brown, black, or white. Um, arrested caries is usually firm with a glass-like surface because typically when you've had demineralization and then it, it remineralizes on its own, it might not look very pretty, but it comes back stronger and badder than ever. And we have recurrent caries, and that is new decay at the margins of a restoration. So you have a cavity, the doctor cleans it out and gives you a nice new amalgam filling. And over time, that filling material can cause leakage around it, and then you have recurrent caries. So, um, caries detection with... A radiographic examination. 
So we take bite wings, PAs. I think that's about it for Carrie's detection. But we take bite wings every one to three years or every six months if the patient has a high caries rate. A standard diagnostic tool for posterior teeth. So we need those bite wings. Because we can see, like, through the contacts and everything, uh, where the decay is on the tooth. Also where calculus is as well. Uh, PAs are used for anterior teeth. You can also do vertical PAs. Um, so you're going to use that and the visual exam to determine if the patient has a cavity there. The carious lesions are radiolucent, which means that they are dark. And I would go into the GD Black's classification of dental caries, but... I think I'm going to save that for the dental anatomy portion, unless it's in this part. We will see. Okay, so now I'm getting into the Chicago book, and it says dental caries. Demineralization. Process occurs when the pH drops below 4.5 to 5.5 for enamel and 6.0 to 6.7 for cementum. These are known as high or as critical pH levels. So I would know that that's the pH levels when demineralization occurs. So again, for enamel, it's 4.5 to 5.5. For cementum, it's 6.0 to 6.7. Fluoride's role in the dental caries process. Fluoride interferes with bacterial metabolism. In high concentrations, such as the professional application, fluoride is bactericidal, which means it is destructive to the bacteria. That's why when you go to the dentist and they do a fluoride varnish at the end of the appointment, it is because this fluoride kills the bacteria that causes dental caries. In low concentrations, which is daily at home application, the fluoride is bacteriostatic. So that means it inhibits the growth or multiplication or bacteria. It has substantivity, which is the ability to bind to pellicle, plaque, and tooth surface, and be released over a period of time with retention of potency. Do not need to polish teeth prior to application since fluoride penetrates through the pellicle and plaque. But I read somewhere else that it's you, you should. You should clean the teeth before. Uh, honestly, why not? That's why we put it on at the end of the appointment, right? Okay. Fluorides aid in accelerated maturation. Fluoride continues to accumulate in the outermost portion of enamel. So it's always there protecting. Uh, fluoride therapy. The methods of fluoridation include pre-eruptive, which is systemic, and post-eruptive, which is topical. Systemic, pre-eruptive, uh, gets kind of made into your tooth during development. Uh, during mineralization, um, and it happens with water, supplements, and food. Topical, it is added to the enamel post-eruption through water, toothpaste, rinses, and fluoride treatments. So, this actually stops at a certain point. It only has topical like it's missing part of the lesson. So it doesn't have systemic, but we already covered that. So we'll go ahead and we'll just read part of this. Um, Post-eruptive or topical fluoride can be professionally applied. The types I feel like are important to know. You have sodium fluoride, sodium fluoride varnishes, and acidulated phosphate fluoride. 
So sodium fluoride used in the presence of tooth colored and porcelain restorations. You apply it with the tray method. This is the most effective delivery system for individuals with rampant caries. Four minute application for maximum efficacy. One minute applications are not recommended due to lack of efficacy data. Instruct patient not to eat, drink, or smoke for 30 minutes post-application. Uh, this is recommended for bulimics. Sodium fluoride varnishes contains 5% NAF, so 22,600 ppm. Used for desensitizing exposed roots and caries prevention. Uh, typically use 0 0.3 slash 0 0.5 milliliters per application, which is a small volume low dose. Retained for 24 to 48 hours during which time the fluoride is released for reaction within the underlying enamel. Recommended applications repeated two to four times per year. More effective in caries reduction than traditional professional topical fluorides. Effective for use on infants and small children with significantly less fluoride ingestion than with the APV gel. Also, or I'm sorry, APF gel. Also easy application. Not for home use. This is for professional application only. Then we have the APF, which is acidulated phosphate fluoride. Contraindicated in the presence of tooth colored restorations and porcelain. Because the acid in the fluoride etches the glass components in the restoration, causing surface roughening or pitting over time. So you put this on with the use of a tray or by painting. So it's available as a thixotropic, which is gel-like, and in foams. And that's all I have on topical fluoride from this. Wait a minute. Okay, there's a little bit more on the back page. We'll get to it. Chronic fluoride toxicity. So you have skeletal fluorosis. This presents after long-term exposure, 10 or more years of water containing 8 to 10 parts per million fluoride or from industrial exposure. We also have dental fluorosis, which is hypomineralization results from excessive injection of fluoride. So two parts per million plus during amelogenesis. Indicators for mild fluorosis are white opacities. So for boards, we'll have to identify mild, moderate, and severe fluorosis from photographs. That's what I have on here. So mild fluorosis, the patient has just like white spots on their teeth. Moderate, you have brown stains and pitting. And then for severe, you have uh, chipped teeth. So, I'm using all of this material. So if something is missed in one portion, we will pick it up in another. That's why these sessions are about to get really long. Okay. All right, and this goes back to the topical fluoride. Uh, this is the last one. It's stannous fluoride. It is an unstable solution. It must be mixed fresh. It has an unpleasant taste. It stains demineralized areas and margins of tooth-colored restorations due to the reaction of the fluoride 10 ion in the compound. It can also cause possible gingival sloughing. But stannous fluoride, it stains, but it's like really, really good. It makes your teeth strong and it completely stops the decay process. Um, application to boards, professional application. Know the compounds used to fluoridate community water systems. So that's important. Determine proper fluoride concentration percentages. Know how much PPM and percentages of professional fluorides differ from self-applied fluorides. Recall adverse reactions and indications for use 
for each type of fluoride. And note that if patient has hypersensitivity due to recession, use the NAF varnish. And then the last thing for fluoride that I'm going to do, and like I said, the last portion is just missing some of the information. So if you're wanting to hear the whole thing again, you'll have to listen to this recording again. The last thing we're going to do, which is very important, is go over the ages and how much that you should supplement for that age compared to how much fluoride they're already getting. So, and that's at the beginning of this recording as well. So ages zero to six months, they get no fluoride supplementation at all, no matter how much they're getting at home or whatever. So newborn babies to six months of age get no fluoride supplementation, none. Uh, babies ages six months to three years old, if they have less than 0.3 parts per million fluoridation at home, then they can receive 0.25 milligrams per day. Little babies, six months old to three years old, receiving less than 0.3 parts per million at home are only allowed 0.25 milligrams per day. No more. That is, in fact, the only supplementation that they are allowed to have. Next is children between 3 and 6 years old. If they are receiving less than 0.3 parts per million fluoride at home, they are allowed to have 0.5 milligrams per day which is twice as much as the six-month-old to the three-year-old. So if you have a one-year-old and a four-year-old in the house and the household receives less than 0.3 parts per million in their, uh, in their water, then the one-year-old is allowed to have 0.25 milligrams per day and then the three- to six-year-old can have 0.5 milligrams per day so twice as much just think like preschool so six months to three years old they're still little bitty toddlers um zero to six months they're itty bitty babies they can't even set up so they get nothing the toddler six months to three years old gets a 0.25 the wait yeah and then the your little preschooler who is three to six years old, can get the 0.5 milligrams per day. Your three to six year old, if they are re receiving 0.3 to 0.6 parts per million at home, then they can receive 0.25 milligrams per day. It's less because that's if they're receiving a little more at home. So your three to six year old, if they have less than 0.3 parts per million, they can receive 0.5 milligrams per day. But if they are receiving 0.3 to 0.6 parts per million at home, then they can have 0.25, which is half. 0.25 milligrams per day. Now, your school-aged kids, 6 to 16 years of age, if they are receiving less than 0.3 parts per million, they are allowed to have 1 milligram a day. However, if they are receiving 0.3 to 0.6, parts per million, they can have 0.5 milligrams per day. So it's half as much because they're receiving uh, more. So then they can have less fluoride supplement because they are receiving more. So if anybody at home is receiving more than 0.6 parts per million, then they get no fluoride supplements at all. You only get a fluoride supplement 
if you're over six months old and you have less than 0.6 parts per million fluoridation at home. So, six months to three years old, if they have less than 0.3 parts per million, they can be supplemented 0.25 milligrams per day. If your preschooler, the three to six year old, is receiving less than 0.3 parts per million, they can get 0.5 milligrams per day supplemented. If your preschooler is receiving 0.3 to 0.6 parts per million, they are only allowed to have 0.25 milligrams per day. And then your school-aged kids, the 6 to 16 years of age, if they're receiving less than 0.3 parts per million, they are allowed to have a full 1 milligram per day. And if they're receiving 0.3 to 0.6 parts per million, then they can have a 0.5 milligrams per day. This chart, it's a little confusing to say it, but if you actually practice writing the chart out, it'll be really easy for you to write the chart out the day of the exam and have it there to refer to. So it's kind of complicated when you're saying it out loud, but if you write it out, it's not that big of a deal, which I'm already to the point that I can write it out. So if you can do that, that's fantastic. And this concludes the fluoride portion of our fluoride review. Sorry it's so long.